Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. All right, hey, uh, grab a Bible, go to John chapter 1. Uh, I'm, I'm Darren, if I don't know you. We're in a series called Practicing the Way of Jesus. And um, we started it last week with my friend John Mark Comer, who's a pastor in Portland, and he kind of framed this long series. So it is going to be long. We are going to take our time looking at what it means to follow Jesus. And the way we framed it was through John Mark last week. He did an overview that uh, we're called in the scriptures to not be converts to Christianity. We're called to be followers of the way of Jesus. Uh, disciples of Jesus. And the best word for us today to, to talk about discipleship is the word um, in the Hebrew is Talmudim, which means uh, apprentice. And so we are apprentices of Jesus. And what does that mean? Well, we, we broke it up into three categories that we're going to talk through for the next season. The first, which we'll do an overview today, is we're called to be with Jesus. So the first category of discipleship is to be with him. The second is to become like him. Um, and the third is to do what Jesus did. So for the next season, we're going to use those categories to frame what discipleship looks like. Does that sound good? Yes. If not, sorry, go somewhere else. This is what we're going to do. Um, <clears throat> so I can't help you there. John chapter 1, uh, we'll look at just a few words that Jesus uses to describe um, kind of the invitation. And this invitation is for all of us today. It says, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Um, They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So all, in, in the rest of the text, there's, I, I'm not going to keep reading it for the sake of time. I went a little long last one. But in this particular passage, he, he says to uh, Nathaniel, come and see. This is the invitation that Jesus gives to his would-be followers. And it's essentially what he's saying to his disciples or would-be disciples is, come hang. Come hang out. Come be with me. This is the invitation of discipleship, not to Come and read as much as you can and know all these right things and theologies, which is important. But that's not the primary invitation. The primary invitation is to come and just see if, in fact, Jesus has the abundant life he's promised. Experience it for yourself. Taste and see. Find out for yourself if this is true and good and beautiful, which it is. And that's the question or the invitation he gives us. So the invitation is just come and be with me. Come and be with me. And uh, the question is then how does this work? Because in the first century you had the physical body and physical life of Jesus in the flesh. He ate meals, he slept, he traveled, he walked along the road with his disciples. But we don't have Jesus per se in the flesh like that. So how do we in the 21st century Long Beach learn to follow Jesus or come and hang with Jesus. How do we learn, excuse me, to be with him? That's the premise of this talk. How do we learn to be with him? So if you have a Bible, go to John 14. We're going to look at a couple of texts this morning um, and kind of give you a big framework of what Jesus insists on. And then I'm going to land with some very simple practices at the very end, but also talk about practically what this looks like in our everyday ordinary life. Afterwards, we have, I think, one person signed up to get baptized. Are we excited for that? We got a handful of people got baptized in the first service. Faith, our worship pastor, got to baptize her sister. That was epic. Faith, were you crying? Faith, is Faith in here? Were you crying in that? Were you like emotional? I saw, I was getting all choked up. Dude. I was like, this is crazy. This is life right here. Sister baptizing sister. Isn't that amazing? Come on. And I just want to say, if you've never been baptized, the pool's open for you today. Okay, this is a Holy Spirit filled pool. It's not. It's hose water. Like, it's like Long Beach is best. Um, <laughs> so just plug your nose and hold your breath. Um, but it's to- no. The symbol of this is, um, as I talk today, I want you to think about this. If you've never been baptized, today's the day. Uh, today's the day you can decide to follow Jesus with the rest of your life. And there's no half in on this, okay? There's all in, fully immersed into the reality of who Jesus is. You don't have to know everything about Jesus to begin to hang out with him. I'm going to set you up on a blind date today. 
with the person of your dreams. And it only gets better over time. I promise. Is that good? Can I get an amen? amen? We got some YWAMers in the front right here. I'm so pumped. So this week I got to hang out with these guys. They're, uh, they're missionaries. And they're spending like nine months in the, in the States being trained at YWAM. I got to preach like four days in a row. It's the most amazing thing. 90 kids. And they're going to college universities, like 250 college universities when it's all finished, bringing the message of Jesus. The coolest thing is half of them went to Santa Barbara, UCSB, to minister at Jesus Burgers, where I got saved. Full circle. Oh, God has a sense of humor. And if you don't believe it, just come and hang. I'll, I'll prove it to you. Come and hang. John 14, this is Jesus. He's, he's getting ready to go to the cross. And he's getting serious in the Gospel of John of talking about what's next. He's going off on his disciples, training, teaching, and all this stuff. And he says this before, before he leaves them. He says, look, if you, verse, uh, verse 15 of chapter 14. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So the word um, advocate, or uh, sorry, the word another in Greek, there's, there's two different words for another. There's one that refers to another of a different kind. And then there's another Greek word that means another of the same kind. Jesus is saying, I'll bring you another me. It's a, it's a really like slippery way to translate another advocate is to be like another like me or another one of me. It's super uh, mysterious, but what you have to know is that the Christian God we worship is Trinitarian, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so uh, when we come into this faith, we come into the perfect loving community. And the ancient fathers, to try to describe the mystery of the Trinity, they describe it as a divine dance. So brothers and sisters, anyone here lonely, longing for intimacy? Well, when you come into the Christian faith, you come into a party of four. Of this divine unconditional love that is longing to fill you with their presence, the presence of God, like one God made up of three, and that just invites you into this divine dance to where you learn to be invited into the presence and communion with God. So Jesus says, I'll bring you another one just like me. So um, skip down to verse 25. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 25. All this I've spoken while uh, still with you. And this is so important. Look what he says. But the advocate or counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. And I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Can I get an amen? amen. Anyone here trying to take as many notes as possible? I gotta, I gotta know what he says. Brothers and sisters, the Spirit comes to teach us everything about Jesus. So how do we follow Jesus today? Well, the primary way we follow Jesus is through the Holy Spirit, according to the text. That this means that the first and primary goal of our apprenticeship to Jesus is learning to live in a constant state of awareness of and connection to the Holy Spirit. So our baseline, our introduction into this faith is not, here's a bunch of lists of rules and modification of behavior. It's let me introduce you to the God who wants to flood your life with his presence and learn to live aware, um, uh, become aware of that presence in you, around you, and with you. Is that good news? So the invitation to being an apprentice, the baseline is to be filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit, to follow Jesus by staying aware and staying connected to the Holy Spirit. And the, the greatest, I mean, the great image of, uh, metaphor, excuse me, for what discipleship today looks like and what this idea looks like is the very next metaphor that Jesus gives of the vine and the branches. So John 15, this, is, this should be memorized. Um, I'm 33, I'm a pastor. I've been in professional ministry for uh, 10 years, and I don't have it memorized. So, um, but you should memorize it. Um, and I'll work on it with you, okay? Sound good? NIV, this is their translation. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. 
there's a little bit of reason why we have the name garden. There's a lot of reasons, but there's another reason. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So it will be even more fruitful. Let me, just in case you missed that, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. Some of you are in that place. It's not opposition, it's pruning. Right? It's not opposition, it's pruning. And you just need to recognize that God is pruning for the harvest. He wants to increase the fruitfulness of your life. That comes with some challenge. It comes with conflict. It comes with uh, recognition of sin and self and deeper awareness of your habits, deeper awareness of your motivation, deeper awareness of the broken past that you're carrying along. And he's, he's doing all this so that you can bear more fruit. So uh, you've already been uh, clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me. Uh, Another translation which I prefer is abide in me. So I'm going to keep reading it through abide. Abide in me as I also abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me, I and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do a couple of things, some things. No, you can do nothing. We think we can do a lot. In fact, I like to tell Jesus I can do a lot on my talent, strength, and force. But I'm regularly reminded by this text to align myself, abide, pull back, and recognize that that's not fruit that will last. Because what you sustain, What you build in the flesh will have to be sustained in the flesh. But what you build in the spirit will be sustained in the spirit. Abide. Remain in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Which for our American consumer-driven culture, can we just take a deep breath? Take a deep breath. You can't do anything without him. Why are you just running around exhausted and burnt out? when it's peace he wants to leave you with. And then it says, um, if you do not abide in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Whatever. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my apprentices, disciples, So this is the point of Jesus. The word abide is used or remain 10 times in this little passage. And it's a beautiful picture. This is Jesus' metaphor for discipleship uh, in the kingdom of God. And it means to get into the presence of the Father and stay there. Now when I say that, we regularly think about the mystics. Like let's go up to the mountain and monastery and into a beautiful landscape and stay in seclusion and silence and solitude. But most of us don't, don't live there, do we? We, we, in fact, a church can be so helpful in creating um, examples of life being lived in the presence of God in, our ordinary, in the ordinary sense because we create these artificial environments where whether it's in a, our own building or a, a middle school auditorium where we dim the lights, we set up shop, we put some professional musicians on here, we give microphones and stage lights, and we think this is a more holy moment. What Jesus is saying is take your everyday, ordinary life and allow the presence of the Father to invade that in that moment and learn to become aware of his presence in the everyday, ordinary moment. This is the secret to discipleship to Jesus in the 21st century. Now, I can't get off on this for a second because I want to free you and liberate you from the burden of religion. Because the American church has, and we are part of the problem, has tried to coerce people to think that real discipleship is reading lots of the Bible, praying all the time in your closet by yourself, uh, uh, getting really good at dealing with your sin and sin management. And the the less sin you, you have, the greater disciple that you are. Real discipleship is meeting every week in Starbucks with four guys talking and confessing your sin. And that's, that's all good and true to some extent, but that's not the whole picture. Now stay with me for a second. What Jesus is inviting you into is for you to be in the presence of the Lord as you commute on the 405 in traffic. For you to be an exuberant presence of God and worship the divine, singing holy, holy, holy in your hearts, experiencing ecstatic worship as you send emails back to your clients. For you to stay 
remain in the presence of the Father as you parent your two little preschoolers, the toddler who's five months old and the three-year-old who's on his way to being 13. I'm just as a reference to my own life. And this is, this is what I'm realizing is that for so long we put all this burden on discipleship being this thing that we can't possibly sustain in our ordinary life. So, so the, the problem is that burden was never intended for you. It's easy and light, and we need to learn from Jesus this easy and light yoke by allowing those um, heavy burdens that the church has placed on to be released and learn to walk in the easy and light burdens. So what does that mean for me? Well, for me, it means that my perfect little quiet time that has a, has a fireplace, my pour-over coffee or my great system that's ex- like a pour-over coffee that's automatic and it's really expensive and perfectly ground coffee beans, uh, along with my, my scriptures and my beautiful pen and, and, and having an hour to worship and pray and read and be on the floor in the and when it gets interrupted by my five-month-old, I have to recognize that I, the Father in heaven knows what stage of life I am in. And if my, my time of worship and devotion includes me burping my son or keeping him from waking up the rest of the house while I go on a long walk instead of reading through hours of the scripture and inviting the presence, then God is okay with that. Can I just give you permission? And we're going to talk about disciplines and practices to challenge your ordinary habits, but can I give you permission to honor the stage of life you're in? We have a lot of young families, a lot of new moms, permission to recognize you with preschoolers. Bill Doctrum told this, our other teaching pastor. He said, parents with preschoolers have the hardest life stage for spirituality. And it's true because these little things take all of the life out of you. And you love them so much. And, you, and, and it's like you can't wait for bedtime, but then you, the moment you put them down, you're looking at pictures because you want to be with them. But they, it's true. It's amazing. But it's, it, it costs your relationship to your spouse if you're not careful. And it costs your relationship to Jesus unless you free yourself from an unnecessary burden and learn to live in the presence of God. Yeah. So as you change diapers, as you drive in your hour and a half commute, as you go and sit with, uh, at a cubicle, as you lead the school with 30 kids in a classroom, and it's too, there's absolutely way too many kids in the classroom for your size, invite the presence of God. Be in the presence of God in those places. Are you with me? So throughout history, there's different language to use what I'm talking about. Jesus calls it abiding. Paul talks about it as praying without ceasing. This is the idea, to be in 24-7 communion with God. Even as I say it, As I'm speaking, I have this inner dialogue and awareness of the presence of God and his love for me. And he's simply, again, right now, I kid you not, he's saying, Darren, I love them, but you're my favorite. (laughs) I'm sorry. It just keeps happening. I'm just being playful. But that's the book of John. That's where we get it from. I'm the beloved disciple, John says, after all the other disciples died. And um, (laughs) it's true. He wrote it later, so it's fact. Okay, so... um, But our Catholic friends called it contemplation. The mystic fathers. Have you ever heard of Brother Lawrence, the 15th century Parisian dishwasher? He was a dishwasher in a monastery, and he had such a devoted life. He devoted his life to something he called the practice of the presence of God. And people would come from all over Europe to watch the man in the kitchen, delighting in in God's presence. And after his death, they they took his letters and they made it a book. And in his book, he says this, the time of business does not differ with me from the time of prayer. Can we just, the time of business, when you leave here, when you are done with silence and solitude, as you pick up your kids at school, as you are at work, there's no difference from your prayer is what he's saying. And he says, in the noise and clatter of my kitchen while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees before the blessed sacrament. Anybody long for this? Just to be, I mean, this is why as a discipline in my life and sometimes... I complain to my wife. She's here. She'll say amen. Uh, but as I'm doing dishes, I'm reminded of Brother Lawrence and his, his, his delighting in the presence of God as he washes the dishes for his brothers and sisters in their monastery. Just apply that to wherever you are. While you're doing spreadsheets and emails, 
which are from the devil. <laughs> Just kidding. Some of you Excel freaks are like, do not. Dude, that's an unforgivable sin. <laughs> Blasphemy. Um, this is the kind of ache that our soul longs for. So Dallas, well, uh, John Mark quoted this last week. This is such a beautiful quote. This is what we're after here. This is what we're, we're trying to move in this direction. Dallas so graciously writes this. He says, the first and most basic thing we can do and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for your souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our dwelling, sorry, in the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. Like that, that Instagram post, like the things you're trying to buy, like what your spouse said to you, did she have a negative tone? Was there some fire behind that, that, that ask or whatever it was about picking up your shoes from the door? Like you, you begin to go before the presence of God and you start dwelling on lesser things than God. This is his gracious way of saying that. And so then he says, look, uh, in the early time, you, you'll be burdened by dwelling on things less than God. But these are habits not the law of gravity, and can be broken. You can learn to, to not just go down that rabbit trail. And he says a new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. The point is that living in a constant state of awareness of and connection to the presence of God all day long takes practice. It doesn't just happen. So in, the, in fact, in the chaos and motion and noise of our hyper-connectivity in our urban digital world, we need to intentionally practice the presence of God. So we don't do it naturally. We need to discipline ourselves or take on new habits to allow it to become natural. Uh, one author says this, it is unlikely that we will deepen our relationship with God in a casual or haphazard manner. There will be a need for some intentional commitment and some reorganization in our own lives. But there is nothing that will enrich our lives more than a deep and clear perception of God's presence in the routine of daily living. That's good. So the goal is just to learn to be in the presence of God. This is how we learn to be with Jesus. But how do we do this practically? Well, the practical answers are spiritual disciplines. We need to take on practices of Jesus. The practices of Jesus are essential for being his disciple. So there are all sorts of disciplines. And what we're going to do is in the new year, we're going to start going through these disciplines together. So we'll do uh, next week, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. We'll do some Advent stuff around discipleship. And then in the new year, we'll talk about how we actually change as people. Because it doesn't happen because you get zapped by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it does, but those are rare occasions. But discipleship and change, like anything, like any habit, takes time. And we'll talk about that. But then we'll talk about those individual practices like prayer, silence and solitude, fasting, Sabbath. All the, and, and there's like a list, there's, there's an exhaustive list, and we'll talk about reading scripture together. Does this sound good to you? Um, again, if you don't like it, some great churches, other, other places. So I'm just giving you a hard time. You don't have to like it either and stay here. It's totally fine. Uh, I'm glad that you're not church shopping. Remember, there's no such thing as church shopping. Um, it's just an oxymoron because you are church. You can't shop yourself. So they are, <clears throat> uh, so spiritual disciplines um, they are activities you do with your mind and your body that orient your whole person around God. And that is the starting point for learning to be in the presence. We need to realize that spiritual disciplines are a means to an end. Every single one of them. The end is to be with Jesus. So in Galatians, let's just go there real quick. Galatians chapter 5. Next week we'll look at this about becoming like Jesus. Galatians, there's this great passage um, that is used out of context in so many places. And I preached about this. That these, are, these are not like descriptions of a life from a Hallmark card, but these are a characteristics developed in battle. And so uh, 5.16 of Galatians, Paul says, So I, I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
And then verse uh, 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have, past tense, crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So Paul um, doesn't say, guys, as a church, I command you to be more loving, be more patient, be more self-controlled. He doesn't command. The command is to keep in step with the Spirit or to walk, to live in the Spirit. And over a long period of time, what walking in the Spirit does is produce a life of love and joy and peace and gentleness and self-control. Does anyone want more of those characteristics? I mean, can we just, now just pause for a second. How powerful of a witness would you be if you were the person with self-control and patience? See, this is, the, this is what we're after, becoming that kind of person. We'll talk about this t- next week. So as we live and connected to God through day in and day out over time, he starts to transform the inside of us. So we learn to abide in the vine and become more like Jesus. And the outcome will, become, well, the outcome will look like the character of Christ. But here's the question. So how do we learn to be with Jesus? How do we actually do this today? How do we keep in step or walk in the spirit or abide in the vine or whatever you call it with the chaos of our urban digital world with traffic, social media, text messages, emails, and a two-year-old? How do we learn to be with Jesus? And the answer is gonna frustrate all of you. So all of this research and education and study of the weeks and, and John Mark's teaching in Dallas Willard, this is the best thing I can give you. How do you do this? The answer is to live like Jesus. You see, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, then you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. It's not enough to think that if we become Christian and we believe these new things about God, then we'll be on our road, on the road to experiencing peace, joy, patience, and kindness. That's not how it was intended. Jesus' call was not to save you from hell. It was to transform your entire life here and now so that you can live in the kingdom, the alternative way of life, here and now, and continue on to the age to come. I know that's news for some of you. Now, he came to, to, to defeat the works of the enemy, to, to, to take this atoning sacrifice for sin, but, and that's absolutely important, but there's a larger picture with discipleship of becoming the kinds of people who naturally think and do what Jesus would think and do without having to think about it. Did you get that, catch that? The goal for your life with Jesus is to become the kind of person where you are in your life stage who does and thinks the things that Jesus would do and think if he were you in that life stage where you are without having to think about it. So you get to that, you have to make this, what would Jesus do? You, you are already doing it. Do you understand? So how do we do this? Well, the answer is to uh, recognize that it's about our lifestyle. Like business acumen says this, your system is perfectly designed to give you the results you're getting. So your life is a byproduct of your lifestyle. I was praying with some, one of these kids at YWAM this week, and they're like, will you pray for my anxiety? And I said, absolutely, I'll pray that God will heal you of your anxiety. And then I, after I prayed, I said, okay, talk to me about your habits. I was like, so um, what's your, are you getting enough sleep? Nope, not getting enough sleep. Are you eating healthy? Nope, not eating healthy. Do you exercise ever? Nope, don't exercise. What's your habit with your iPhone and your, are you, do you have any like rules about how often you're on your phone or engage in social media? No, I don't have, so, so as I started going down the list, I'm like, look, you're feeling anxious way over here and you're thinking that the answer is just to get prayer and be spiritually healed, which God can do. But I'm telling you, the answer to the peace that Jesus wants to offer you has to do with also Jesus' lifestyle. He wasn't looking at his phone. On average, the study came out 2,617 times a day. Or the average person touches their phone for a session 76 times a day. The average person spends uh, uh, two and a half hours on their phone. That's average. Most of us are more than average Jesus wasn't distracted by that reality. He was also unbusy. There are lifestyle decisions and habits of Jesus that will shape who you become if you choose to live 
as an apprentice of Jesus. Now, what am I saying? So what I'm saying is your lifestyle is a byproduct. Your life is a byproduct of your lifestyle. Some of those are circumstances, but most of them are habits. So I, I've used this illustration multiple times. Um, one of the, the regular disciplines I have to be a present father is to put my phone someplace else, not on me when I'm home. Because that's a micro habit. Putting my phone away is a micro habit rather than having it on me 24-7 because it was distracting me from being present to my son. He would say, Daddy, put your phone down. Or we would go somewhere to play and he'd say, don't bring your phone. As a two-year-old, habits, and that micro habit has had a macro impact on our life. But it's like anything. It's like basketball. Like when you learn basketball, they don't start by saying, when you're a little kid, I learned how to play basketball. They don't start by shooting free throws. They start by saying, just bounce it. So you, you just like, with two hands, you're like this, and you drop it, and then it falls everywhere, and kids are just going crazy. And then like, okay, dribble, now pass the ball. And so you pass the ball, and they catch it. And then they're like, okay, this, this is out of bounds. This is inbounds. When you go out of bounds, you're not playing anymore. It's their ball. Stay in. Okay, stay in. And then, and then they're like, okay, you can't, you can't dribble with both hands. You're old enough. You got to dribble with one hand, right? And then they start teaching you the rules. Then you start doing passes. Then you start playing. The goal isn't for your entire life to focus on, okay, dribble, dribble. This is, oh, I'm out again. The, the goal isn't the fundamentals. The goal is to know how to play the game freely so you don't have to think about the fundamentals. Can I get an Amen. So, or like anything, like a new language or a new skill, for example, like if I wanted to learn how, let me tell you my, my, show you my guitar skills. So I've never taken a guitar lesson in my life. I learned um, when I was dating my wife, <clears throat> this is perfect. Can you blast this? Let's do this. When I was dating my wife, I wooed her, and I mean wooed. I had her swooning. <laughs> Am I right, baby? You know what I'm talking about? So it was this song. Wait, hold on. Turn this baby up. It's not on the guitar? Okay, hold on. I'll do it. Oh, right here. See, I don't even know this. See? All right. You guys hear that? Okay, guys. The guitar keeps getting out of tune. <laughs> okay, here we go. Would you dance? <laughs> but I asked you to dance. Right, baby? Look at she's getting, yeah. That's right. That's right. It's, hey, some, that's all it took. That's all it took is I can be a hero, baby. But like you get me to play chords. I have no idea. Like, but Paul, Paul's never played guitar in his life. Would you come up? No, Paul. Paul's been playing guitar for 20 years. Paul, would you just give me like, a rift of some sort that would just show what, so if I wanted to learn how to play, I might start with some chords and learn technique. I might learn how to turn the volume on. Uh, but over time, you get something like this. Perfect. Right? Right? So, so if I was like, all right, guys, play the guitar, and I'm like, you're going to do that. How many of you can do that? I mean, unless we're playing for a long period of time. But how do you learn? 20 years of practice. This is the same with discipleship. Same with being in the presence of Jesus. You, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus if you want the life of Jesus. His lifestyle becomes our template. Remember, Jesus is the example, not only of what it means to be God, but what it means to be a true and real human. He is our example. So his identity and calling was to show us how to really live a good life, an abundant life. And I want you to just, so I, when I heard this phrase, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. I was wrecked. I like a light bulb went out. I was like, man, I've been missing it. Cause, and for lots of reasons. And, but one of the things I did as a discipline was I just went through the gospels for like, I read it in one day, I read all the gospels in a day. 
And then I, I just kept reading it. And so one of the things we're doing right now is we're reading the Gospels together as a church. And I feel like what I might do is just have us for the next year as a church just stay in the Gospels. Just keep reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for, so we can get comfortable with the presence and life of Jesus. But what I did is I started highlighting lifestyle stuff of Jesus. Like one of the things I realized is Jesus was never in a rush. He was never in a hurry. One of the commitments I have, and I'm trying to get accountability with our house church, is I want an unhurried life. Because Dallas Willard says the greatest threat to spirituality is uh, hurry. And he says you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And I'm, I, it's not like hurry is a disposition in my life. Like I could be watching my son play, and inside I'm a million places somewhere else, like wanting to do the dishes, wanting to put stuff away, thinking of a sermon, and it's created this distracted soul. And I want to be, and I've, I've disciplined myself with my phone. I've disciplined myself with no emails on my phone. I've, dis, I've been really disciplined, but there's still this hurriedness. I mean, so one of the things I'm learning, and we'll talk about disciplines to take on, like, so what I'm doing to challenge hurry is eat slower. It's so silly. Like, what do you mean? Like, literally, I, if you hang out with me, I get food and I want to get it done in my belly so I can get on to something else. And I love food, but I'm trying to slow down meals. And it's, it's crazy. Like, Alex is like, yeah, you consume. Like, people are, but also, um, like, taking the slow lane. Or, like, I had a choice to drive the freeway or streets, and I was driving the streets every time um, because it was slower on purpose. Or, and this is probably, like, the worst thing I have to do is get in the slow line, the longest line at the grocery store. Because I can, I, like, artificial intelligence, like, does not have anything on me with calculating the time and the, the, how fast, like, an older woman with lesser things and a young kid with his card out, she's going to pay with a check. I'm, like, calculating, like, how, and then I'm assessing, like, does the checker have any things on her hands? Like, because then I'll have to pray for her. I can't get out the door. Like, this is all, literally, that's, that's how corrupt my soul is. Taking the slow lane looking for the braces on the hand. Let's pray for that to be healed. Slowing down. But Jesus wasn't in a hurry. He spent, every time he was with the crowd, it's like every, every response to the public setting was him being alone. Being alone with God. Like it was, it's just amazing. If you just highlight, Jesus was alone in prayer. When he had an un, like overwhelming task the next day to go and be nailed to the cross, Jesus goes alone he asks some friends to pray for him, and he brings his brokenness and his emotions and the pain to the Father. His first response isn't to hit every friend tree or uh, limb on the way down the tree, right? It's not to email everyone and go, I gotta, get, I gotta let you know about what the chaos in my life, and I need your input, I need your, I need your, it's, no, I gotta get in the presence of the Lord and center myself. Can I get an Amen. Some of us are this, some of us is this. Like our drama becomes everyone's drama. And that's kind of how I am actually. My wife's always like, just pray about it first. You don't need to tell all your guy friends what you're struggling with. Like just, come on, man up. <laughs> She's, it's true. And I've learned a lot from that. So he, he goes before the Lord. He spent a lot of time, uh, oh man, this is another one. He Sabbath. He Sabbath. He practiced a day a week where he didn't do anything. Some of us need that. The discipline and ritual of Sabbath. He slept a lot. And this, I'm not kidding here. We, we need to sleep more. And I want to just say, the first commandment I'm giving you to learn how to be with Jesus is to copy the fact that in multiple occasions, Jesus is being woken up by his disciples because he was asleep. So, 9.30, set the alarm, go to sleep by 9.30 or 10 and discipline yourself. You don't have time to read your Bible in the morning. You're going to bed way too late. Stop binge watching Stranger Things. <laughs> discipline yourself or just confess. I definitely binge watched it in a week. It was like a week of time. And there was a moment, there's a true story. I told our staff on Wednesday morning, I was prepping for staff meeting. I'm like, I finished like episode six on Tuesday night. And after house church, I couldn't watch the whole thing. And I remember like, I woke up in the morning, opened my computer and I, was, I had my Bible open. I opened up my computer. To, I didn't have the, the tag to find out what we were reading. And I see Stranger Things and I'm like, Stranger Things? Bible. Stranger Things? <laughs> <gasps> Jesus. Bible. I went for the Bible. 
I went for the Bible. <laughs> it's so cheesy. Um, Jesus, Jesus uh, had disciples. He ate regularly with people. He, um, he lived a simple lifestyle. He didn't buy into consumerism. I mean, these are all lifestyle things and habits that we just overlook in the scriptures. But maybe those are the secret teachings that will give us the life we're longing for. If we give up the materialistic discontentment and the distraction, maybe we'll land with a peace that never departs. Because we're on the go, we're constantly buying, we're regularly distracted, we're not sleeping enough, we're cramming so much into our day, and we're wondering why we haven't experienced this life of Jesus. We're stressed out, burned out, exhausted, angry, and frustrated all the time, and it comes out everywhere we go, because the answer comes down to simply allowing ourselves to be in the presence of Jesus and learn to do what he did. So the general, Dallas Willard says, the general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time not commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. This is the feature of human character that explains why the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Oh! (laughs) We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. If you want the life of love, joy, and peace, the life that is truly life. We ache for it, we crave it, yet often we don't take the necessary steps to become, to let it become reality. Because the lifestyle of Jesus is the way to the life of Jesus. The early church was called the followers of the way because they were following Jesus towards the way of life. They weren't just people who believed that to pray a prayer and to believe the right things about God is the way to experience the life of God. And I, I really believe this is fundamental to um, the issue in the church. And let me just speak briefly about the American church, which we are a part of. We have created entertainment centers that make it convenient for you to believe the right things about God and not allow the God of the scriptures to radically reorient your entire existence, which is the message and revolution of Jesus. It's not an addition or an accessory. It's a radical rearrangement and reorientation around Jesus. That means every single thing in your life must be filtered through Jesus. Your parenting, your courtship, your dating relationships, your your marriage, your business, your business deals, how you do emails, your education, your time, your money, everything, what you buy, the homes you own, whether you own a home or not, all of those things are filtered through the lens of Jesus. And I have to say, the life that is really life will probably, you will get there faster if we begin to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Now that sounds maybe very prophetic to a church that has made Christianity about attending celebrity-filled communities or event-driven programs. We need to be responsible for our apprenticeship to Jesus and be accountable for us being the kind of church that reflects this kind of reality into the world. This is the hope of the world, not Uh, stages with stage lights and great graphics and websites, but men and women who breathe in the oxygen of the kingdom and bring that life wherever they go as stay-at-home moms, as CEOs, as as students, as teachers, as, as graphic designers, as engineers. Wherever you are, you're bringing that life of the kingdom, making disciples and immersing people into the reality of Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? So, So, if you're here, and now you're overwhelmed, let's just take a deep breath. Because this takes time. You don't get to playing the guitar like that without 20 years of practice. So, here's some steps to move us forward. Um, Long term, I want you to think about this. Here's my advice to moving in the right direction for doing a guitar solo like Paul in the kingdom of God. In the first service, I'm not even going to say it. It was was not fair. Um, Here's my advice. Simplify your life down to what really matters. Simplify your life down to what really matters. Slowly cut out all the extra and the unnecessary activities and slowly add in the practices of Jesus, which we'll teach over the next year. 
And so what I want you to do is just think about what's most important right now. So for me, this hurry is a big deal. I want to focus on that. Now, in my life, I already do silence and solitude, journaling, prayer, fasting, worship, all this stuff. But there are new disciplines I'm adding. For you, I want to invite you to just take on some of these habits that sound good. Like, so maybe it's, I'm going to discipline myself to sleep. Pastor's telling me I need to sleep more. You know, in the, in, check this out. In the Jewish thinking, the day begins at nighttime, sundown. You know what I love about that? You wake up to the day already moving. In other words, God's already got this. Just enter into what he's already doing. Join in him. That's the beauty of creation, the, 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 the narrative. It was evening, it was morning, first day. So it begins by you going to sleep and God saying, I can take care of this. So sleep, maybe it's Sabbath, maybe it's fasting, maybe it's silence and solitude. Begin to build these in in the next few weeks um, and months and years over a long period of time. Short term, I want to give you this advice. I want you to take time every day. I'm asking for 10 minutes for silence and solitude as a church. And here's what silence and solitude looks like for you if you've not done it. For me, it's different. My routine, I want you to create a morning ritual. Now, I'm saying this recognizing that you have to honor the life stage. A morning ritual like this might not work for some of you that have to be at work at 4 a.m. It might not work for a mom who's been up all night and the husband's watching the baby in between. So like give yourself, remember there's no burden, but this is the invitation for a regular ritual, 10 minutes. First thing you do when you wake up, write this down, make coffee. <laughs> if you don't make coffee, start drinking coffee. No, I'm just kidding. Just, just, <laughs> just so for me, I, do, I prep it the night before and I go in and I push the button. And it's, it's a Bonavita pour over, so it's pretty awesome. But anyways, it's an automatic one. It comes in. So I make coffee. I turn on the fireplace because it's fall. Sometimes we would turn on the AC just to have the fireplace. But we're turning on the fireplace. Just, uh, that was a joke. Um, and I open it. So I want you to do, I want you to read with the garden. One, we're doing two chapters plus a psalm a day. And if that's too much for you, if you, two chapters in a psalm is too much for you, read one passage of scripture, close your Bible, and ask the Lord to allow his presence to be known to you. And that's it, 10 minutes. Some of you, if that's a little hard to be open, journal. Just journal your prayers. And we're talking no more than 10 minutes. Every day, begin with time alone in silence and solitude with the Lord. Open up the scriptures. Invite the presence of God. Over a long period of time, this will become the, the um, bass drum of your life the place that you go when you need rest. Like, I'll have a busy week. I'll be exhausted. And my wife knows this. She's encouraging it now. Like, you got to wake up early. you got to be with Jesus because you are fundamentally a different person when you're not in the presence of the Lord. I, because I am just so thick brain. Like, I am just a habit of my hunger. And I say things that I don't want to say out of anger because I'm not taming myself. I don't Anyone else like me? Like, just wild emotionally? Anyone, you're in a safe place. Come out. We already know who you are. It's okay. <laughs> like your, your spouse has been like, come on, where are you? <laughs> so that's it. That's it. I'm going to close with this. Some of you are here, and you don't think the invitation is for you. Been too messed up. Life's been chaos. You have a past, and you're wondering, what does this look like? Well, I want to just show you this beautiful text. I love this. Go to Luke chapter 22. Just a quick narrative from the, the gospel writer of Luke. His name is Luke. I, I am your father. So Luke, and he writes Acts. In Luke chapter 22, you have Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends and disciples. Uh, Jesus is captured, and they're about to crucify him. In verse 54 of 22, Then seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, and when... When some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down together with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. The accusation of Peter is, you've been with him. And his response three times is, I don't even know him. Not me. You're crazy. That's not me. And then it says Jesus prophesied about it and he wept outside bitterly. That's the last real picture we have in the Gospel of Luke. We have one encounter of seeing him 
with um, Jesus in the, when he was raised from the dead. But the same writer writes Acts. And go to Acts chapter 1, or chapter 2. I want you to see what happens. In 50 days, G- Peter goes from denying, the risen, denying Jesus as a friend to Acts 2. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Tongues and known languages are happening. People are wondering what's going on. Verse 14 of chapter 2. This is very intentional of the transformation of Peter's life. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. And he begins to preach the first Sunday morning church message to a crowd. He tells them to repent and believe for the forgiveness of sins is Jesus. Receive the gift of the Holy uh, Holy Spirit as a promise. Be baptized and be saved. And it says at the end of chapter 2, verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. In 50 days, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit and because Peter had been with Jesus, he has this radical transformation where he was once sitting down, now he's standing up. In Acts chapter 3, let's just go a couple more. Acts chapter 3, he's walking to the temple of uh, a gate called Beautiful. He sees a homeless guy asking for almsgiving. He says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give freely. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. And the guy gets up and walks. They bring the paralyzed man into the temple courts where he wasn't allowed to go because of his paralysis. And, and people start wondering what happened. They all saw him paralyzed. And he begins to say, you killed the author of life. He preaches to the crowd. They bring him into the Sanhedrin court. The PhDs, the judges, uh, the political elite, the economic wealthy, the whole system was at the center of the Sanhedrin. And he starts confronting them, pre- preaching to them. In Acts 4, verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they took, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Ordinary, uneducated men had been with Jesus and they had learned over time to become like him and do the things he did. This is our invitation, to be with Jesus and to be marked by men and women, be marked as people have been with Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.